A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hmm. Where to start after an epic sporting weekend like the one we just witnessed? Well, there's only one place really, the Three Arena in Dublin, I believe, where Murph attended his first ever WWE wrestling event with his young nephews, Barry and Enda. <sighs> Hello and welcome to Monday Second, Cap- Second Captain's Podcast. I should know the name of the show by now. Hi, Ken. Hey, on, how are you? I'm good, Ken. How are you? More to the point, Murph, and how was your experience? It's quite something, on. Yeah. It really was quite uh, something. Um, athletic endeavour. From the moment I walked into the restaurant where I was meeting my two nephews to see that they were both wearing... Um, uh, what are they called? Luchador masks. Lucho, yeah. Luch- Luch- Luchador max- masks. Yeah, I might have the pronunciation all yeah. Yeah. arse ways, but... So the second I saw those Mexican on, wrestling masks. I Luchador knew- means fighter, doesn't it? Mm. So I think... Um, I think so. I think that, that kind of set the tone. Yeah. I didn't actually know that my nephews were such massive fans. Because, <laughs> you know, maybe it's just going on in the background. They're talking about WWE. They want to tell me about, you know, whoever. But it turns out... It's a big yes, part there. they're no very... Lies. At one stage... A man, a large man, a large man, old, so large, was walking down the little catwalk <laughs> to the ring. I'm going to call it a catwalk. Yeah. What was the, does this wrestler have a name? Well, I didn't know it, but sure. uh, it turns out the guy's name is Bray Wyatt, okay. I think. Enda starts roaring at me. Give me the, the bag, the sign, <laughs> the sign, the bag. I was like, what, what are you? Oh, the bag. Okay. I was carrying a bag for Enda. Yeah. I opened the bag. There are a number of handmade sides. Brilliant. Uh, the 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 one on the yellow paper yeah. is the one that Enda was desperately looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hand over the sign. What did it say? Enda unfurls it and it says "Delete, delete," <laughs> written in you know eleven year old right handwriting. Delete, 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 which apparently is the catchphrase of Bray Wyatt and his <laughs> tag team compadre. <laughs> Uh, so at this stage, I thought my heart was going to explode at the cuteness of it all. Yeah. But that's basically how the whole thing, that's how the whole thing went down. Oh. It was a tremendous evening. Um. Would you would you go again? No, would hell go, no. Would you go yourself without any? Well, that's no babysitting, well, child minding duties. No, no, no. I had uh, a very nice time with my nephews, uh, and they enjoyed themselves immensely. Therefore, I enjoyed myself. But take my nephews out of it. Well, let's just say I'd be asking myself some <laughs> questions. Over in Bilbao, the Racing ninety two defense hit delete delete on most of Leinster's attacking moves. <laughs> Thanks, Murph, but it wasn't enough. He's going to say when his teammates found a way to fall over the line and win a remarkable. 
fourth European. No, no, you no, you did good. <laughs> I'm, you did I'm good. having a Ken's reaction, which is a <laughs> coy smile. He won't give me a laugh. Just no, give was a, good a, a uh, I watched a, watched a good bit of the game. Tense. <sighs> yeah. Was it though? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. It was tense. It was. I mean, it was also quite poor. It wasn't. Yeah, terrible. I didn't think it was too good. It wasn't pretty, Ken. Why? Why did it not work? Why did the game not happen? Because Racing managed to stop it, and a fussy referee managed to stop their it. Fault. Their fault. Their fault, and the referee. Also, and well, the rain. failure to generate much attacking mm. momentum. Yeah. I mean, that's the question we're going to ask our analysts, Shane Horgan. Matt Williams and Jerry Thornley in short order. Well, I do yeah. agree, Ken. It was a bit of a gruder, a bit of a nightmare for match commentators, I would have thought. There, there would have been nothing for Ortiz, Michael Corkin to get excited about, would there? Smooth back towards Romitale. The attempt to drop a goal. It's gone to the left-hand side and wide. He's kicked it wide. The referee has blown the full-time whistle. Romitale missed the drop goal. Leicester can celebrate the fans. The place has absolutely erupted. When they needed a captain, he stepped forward. East and Natewa with two late penalties. The Frenchies have been beaten. Leicester are the champions of Europe. For the fourth time, Ishan Natewa hugs Tilly Tower as they walk towards the A bottomless well of excitement Michael Corcoran mm. has. And to, just enthusiasm for the game. Yeah, he loves the game. Mm. Thankfully, Ken wasn't in the commentary box or Ortiz listeners might have been a bit nonplussed <laughs> by, the, by the end game there. <laughs> Jay, this He's is, missed this is it crap. and it's over. Yeah, yeah it's gone mm. over. The game, we can all go home now says Ken Early match commentator so Shane Horgan Jerry Thorny and Matt Williams were in Bilbao it was a stunning achievement even if the performance wasn't particularly up to scratch and they're all ready to go in a couple of minutes time we've got our final Premier League podcast of the season recorded and posted this one is a Monday show so it is available to all of you guys but the summer of football is only cranking up the FA Cup final and Liverpool in the Champions League final in the next couple of weeks and one month from today June 14th it's the big one 2018 World Cup in Russia will be up to the highest standards. Soccer is popular. From bottom of my heart, thank you. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man leaves it for dead. There's Beckham, let the ball in! There's Beckham! There's Beckham! Yes, the World Cup will be up to the highest standards and Ken's reporting from Russia will also be up to those same standards. You're going there for the duration, Ken. Yes, Owen. From a couple of days beforehand until a day or so after. Moscow, Sochi, Volgograd, St. Petersburg, Nizhny Novgorod. Where are you looking forward to most? The the last part that sounds amazing. Nizhny Novgorod. Now, I'm, and, and some more places as well. I'm not sure yet about the knockout. Have you been place. to Moscow? I have. I was there on, to see Richard Dunn. A very good game, if you recall. Uh, oh, of yeah. course, yeah. Send yeah, yeah. on more Russians, they said. Yeah. But there are no there are, more There Russians. are no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, was, that was very enjoyable. Um, that, was, that was just before um, a lot of protests started in Russia, actually. They started sort of that winter and things changed a little bit after then. Um, in terms of a lot of the attitudes, 
uh, around the country and towards the country and from within the country towards the rest of the countries. Uh, so it's a very different country these days, <laughs> by all accounts. So I'm looking forward to going back. Yeah, the World Service podcast will be dominated every day by the World Cup. Soccer is popular. And soccer you, is popular. Yeah, on, I mean, about that. soccer is popular. If you haven't already become a member, uh, you can do so right now on secondcaptains.com. Just a fiver a month for a fully immersive World Cup experience. Four European Cup titles in the bag now. A load of homegrown talent doing the business. Huge fan base. The foreign signings all seem to be working out these days and it's a young side with lots of coaches near the start of their careers and a team that can play pretty much any way and still win. I think things are looking pretty good at Leinster at the moment. Jerry is here. Hi, Jerry. Good morning. Shane is listening in. Shane, how are you? Great, thanks. And I'm sure you're in good form too, Matt Williams. Couldn't be better, mate, with four stars on the Leinster chest. Couldn't be better. Four <laughs> stars on the Leinster chest. And as I said, Jerry, given all these great things going on at the moment, I mean, this must be about as good a shape as any of the Irish teams has ever been in. Well, you look back on that um, core team of 2009, 2012, the core of that team that won three in four years, and you'd have to say there's still some way to go to match yeah, it was that. Yeah, it was a decent side. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, know, you automatically forget about all the greatness. Yeah, was, a lot of great, great players in that team. I was looking at Barnsley's... Um, all-time Leinster best 15 and quite a few, understandably, from that era are in the team. Whereas there's the potential, obviously, for the likes of... Well, you even had James Ryan in the team already. And you have the potential for Dan Levy, certainly, to join that group and a few more. Um, Easton Asaba's moving on now and Johnny Sexton's got a couple of years left in them to guide them through. They've got a, they've got a winning culture now. They've got a, they've got a lot of confidence. They've got a huge, an unrivaled conveyor belt of talent, unlike any other team in the world rugby at the moment, when you think of how it's also feeding into the other three provinces um, as well as their own. And there's no other team quite like them. Um, when you think that, was it 18 of the 23-man squad were actually born, reared, produced by the province? It's extraordinary, you know. I mean, I think Racine took umbrage over Leo Cullen's remarks, and they do have like 17, 16, 17 French players in their squad, as is now in keeping with French rules, but only four actually played underage rugby with, with Racine, and only two come from the Paris area. So what, what Leinster are doing is quite unique, and they look well set for years to come. And they do a fantastic fan base as well. We saw that the weekend was a bit of a factor in their triumph when they found another way to win a match when they weren't, wasn't their all sitting, all dancing brand. So it looks very good for the future. But, you know, any given year is only ever a snapshot in the history of the European Cup. You think back two years ago, Leinster won only one match out of six in the pool stages. It's been quite a climb and ascent to the um, European aristocracy. Yeah, then. just on that, Shane, here's a quote that was, uh, has been circulated again in the last week or so from Johnny Sexton. He was talking to News Talk in April 2016. So this is towards the end of his first season back after his time in France. He says, culturally, we are nowhere near where we were when we were winning those trophies. That's the biggest thing since I've come back. We're not within touching distance of it and people can kid themselves otherwise. But I think that's the biggest issue. We've got to get that right first and foremost because you can't do anything without those issues being resolved. And that's a fairly stark description of where they were at pretty much this time two years ago. So how have they gone from there to here? I think, uh, like many of these things, like tactics and like um, uh, and like culture, I suppose, um, if you move the dial a little bit, there can be a huge um, rewards. Uh, that probably wasn't as you know, you got to remember that was quite a low um, period uh, for Johnny Sexton for the team when he was quoted as saying that. So, you know, I think maybe the the culture he may be exaggerating a little bit based on you know that exact period of time that you got him. But they have changed a bit, um, and uh, but I thought at that time more so what was what was necessary was to actually um, change the uh, you know some technical elements that players weren't delivering because I remember 
Um, I think it was that first year uh, Leinster lost both home and away to Toulon. And tactically, they were actually bang on. And, you know, uh, Leo Cullen at the time was getting a bit of flack. And I was saying, actually, you know, what they were trying to do was right. But actually, technically, uh, some of the players just weren't delivering the accuracy that they should be. Now, there was obviously, you know, an element of culture around there or a cultural problem. But there was also just technical skill level that players weren't operating on. And that, for me, has been the biggest change in the last couple of years with Leinster. I think Sexton himself has got better over the last two years. I think he regressed a tiny bit when he went to uh, Racing because they, they, he didn't have the players random. They didn't have the culture or they didn't have the style of play that, bo- that, that, that brought out the best in him. And since he's been able to get, uh, get the reins uh, entirely, and they've got this new sort of generation of, of more highly technical uh, players and, and you know, obviously worked on the culture as well, um, they've become a very, very, very rounded unit. Now, that said, it nearly wasn't enough for them at the weekend, and maybe our conversation would be quite uh, different. I'd like to think it wouldn't be too different um, if they had have lost. But uh, I, I, I think you do need to have you know some perspective. Like, there was three points in the end of that game. It was very, very, very tight. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of huge positives for Leinster um, that are there. And probably the, the, the one that came out of that game, apart from, you know, the extra... Uh, Cup, uh, European Cup win is the fact that um, it was a really, you know, it was a not enjoyable game to watch. Um, you know, the skill level because of the conditions and because of what Rassing did um, wasn't there for Leinster, but somehow they 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 dogged it out, and you know, maybe that's the missing piece um, in in you know in the Leinster teams. or certainly perceived um, missing piece in Leinster teams over the years, but um, that sort of display. I, I'm not sure if many people would have been backing them to, to come through in that way. Maddie, whatever about this being Leinster's best European Cup win, is it the one, do you think, most based on a long-term plan? I mean, it's similar almost to what the German football team have done in recent years, where the whole organisation looked the best way to deal with outside threats and looked at their own strengths and then have worked it from schools and clubs to academy to coaching, say to playing style, to fan loyalty, to building the right stadium in the right place. And I know there's still work to do on the RDS. Um, but Leinster and the German football team got most of those decisions right along the way. And if you even take, say, the players in action at the weekend, from James Ryan, Dan Levy, Tyke Furlong, Keen Healy, Jack McGrath, Johnny Sexton, Henshaw, Ringrose... They're all close to being the best in the world on current form in their respective positions. I mean, it's ridiculous that they have all come to the system of one province in Ireland to win another European Cup. So I think you're right. I think we're we're seeing something that the French don't do. Um, That is long-term investment. The investment in long-term athletic development and understanding that to for players to come to the top it takes a long time the the organization needs a lot of um a great compliment for how they've gone about this and 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 it still comes back to shane's point it was a near run thing Uh, racing got their tactics absolutely bang on they are old school tactics given opposition what they don't want i suspect our old mate ron agara was giving them advice turn leinster around keep them pinned in their own half don't play rugby in your half just kick the leather off it and it almost worked if not for teddy thomas brain snap of running that ball out we might be different 
But what solves a whole lot of problems and can often just spark a whole dynasty is winning. And that win could lead to many years of, of success. Because at the end of that game, I, I, I don't know, what be, I haven't spoken to, to Shane or Jerry about it, but one thing struck me. I, I don't recall a team releasing so much emotion for so long. Like they were celebrating for so long physically with each other, hugging and running around. And, and like you, you'd see that often, but it usually stops after a couple of minutes. It was going for 10 minutes. That was a huge burden off the back of this young team. And, and that could really bring them on. That could that, That's going to have two effects for this next Saturday. They're either never going to recover emotionally and <laughs> Munster are going to win, or that burden's gone and this team's going to blossom. It, 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 it was really quite extraordinary. Yeah, you had guys like James Lowe in particular, uh, mm. obviously, and one or two others in the suits coming in and really joining in the celebrations. I don't know it, if you got the same sense as Matty did there. Completely. Yeah. It was the first thing that struck me. I mean, we're all under ferocious pressure now to meet deadlines with the advent of the internet, so you've got to file a report straight after the full-time whistle, no matter what time, time, day or night it is in any part of the world. But I did take a few minutes out just to watch the celebrations and the way, like you said, all the suited players and all the players on tracks came rushing on and it was just a joyous scene. And this was the product really... I think of a two-year journey and it was very much a squad effort when you think that 37 players featured in the nine games only six of the starting lineup in the opening game against Montpellier were in the starting lineup for the final like Barry Daly got the bonus point try in that opening game didn't make the match today 23 like a lot of others who had a big part in this so it was very much a squad effort that was one thing to be emphasised and um, it, I think as well when you think where they were two years ago winning that one game against Bath that one game was when they blooded six new players and had uh, nine players under 24 Luke McGrath was amongst them Gary Ringrose others and that was the start of something you have to say as well that you know compared to the low point that Johnny Sexton felt they were in then Shane's probably not going to like me saying it, but obviously Stuart Lancaster coming on board was a really big, big factor in all of this development. I know it's player-driven. I know the players are the ones who drive, and they were the ones on the pitch, and it's very much about them. But I think Leo Cullen being man enough, no ego, to bring in a man like Stuart Lancaster, again, no ego. They blended very well. They transformed their game last year. They became much more fluent, more more skillful, um, more try scoring. This year, I think they've cl- clipped their wings a little bit, become a bit more like Ireland's very much a possession-based game. Um, but I was talking to Keen Healy afterwards. What was different this year about the last five years? It is very hard to put your finger on it, but the one thing that stood out for him above all else was the work ethic, the extra skills they were doing on a daily basis, and even now in their gym sessions, it's ball-based. He could never remember it like this before. And I know they didn't show an awful lot of that skill um, on Saturday, they found another way to win, but even when they were trailing 9-12 and it looked like they might lose, they worked a magnificent move up the right through Ringrose, finding space for Levy, who straightened the line, moved it on to Fardy. There's Gibson Park and support on the inside. I mean, it was th- that was still something more than Racing really did at any stage of the match. I think the line breaks were 5-1. to one. I know Racing were very unlucky, to lose um, Pat Lambie in the third minute on top of losing Dan Carter before the game. So you've got a third choice out half who probably didn't run with the team all week. Well, what he did, what running he did was win a, a bib doing defensive duty. So they were unlucky, Rassing. Um, but I think still in all, on balance play, Lens just about deserved to win. And no question that over the course of the tournament, when you beat Montpellier home and away, when you beat Glasgow home and away, when you beat Exeter home and away, where they also found another way to win, when you depose the two-time champions back-to-back, then you beat the Pro 12 champions, and then you come up against the form side in France 
chance with a very fussy referee in lashings of rain and it was very difficult to play and they found another way to win. So I think it's a very complete um, performance in actually becoming champions. Yeah, I think it's notable that you bring up that one phase of play that Leinster went through. And I was looking at uh, you know some of the people on Twitter who go into great detail on these games, such as Murray Kinsler, the 42 or three Red Kings, the guy in Munster, who will go, you know, get a gif of maybe a key moment and watch the game two or three times after. And that neither of them could come up with much because there just was so little in it. But one of them was the chance towards the very end where Gary Ringrose made a half break mm-hmm. because of the gap between Vakatawa and Chavonsi. And this is something that people had pinpointed about Racing in the quarterfinal against Claremont. We'd seen that sometimes Vakatawa goes a little bit wider and there's a bit of a gap there. But it was still only a half gap. Ringrose still got tackled by Vakatawa. It was still only four or five yards. But that became the penalty. Um, Remy Talas went offside and that was a penalty when Nasewa knocked it over that's the sort of game it was but uh, I mean people were saying it was one for the purest I don't think it was one for the purest I found it very hard to enjoy but Shane some of the players were saying afterwards that you know because they had to dog it out because it was crappy weather and a bit of a sticky referee um, and that it just wasn't a Leinster sort of game they got more satisfaction out of that because they'd already wiped Scarlets and Saracens shown the way they could play it you know fast and loose but say a couple of days later in your head is there any satisfaction from the fact that Leinster won it in a whole new way and dealing with things that they hadn't dealt with before, such as, say, say the rain or scoreboard pressure, which they haven't really dealt with much this year, and that they were massive, massive favourites going into it? Yeah, I think there they will be a joy that is derived from it, because it, uh, just for all those reasons you gave. And I think scoreboard pressure and time pressure, you know, after Rassing scored their last penalty... Um, that really, really you know, builds up on players and it, may, it you know, often forces errors. But you know, I was very impressed by the way Leinster um, navigated their way through the last 10 minutes of that game with that sort of pressure, as you said, also heaped on not just time and scoreboard, but also the fact they were big favourites. But I don't think... I think if, if Leinster could have chosen, they would have chosen to, to, to win a different way. I think you see the type of rugby this team likes playing. You see what they're capable of. And that's what they, you know, they all um, strive for. And the, I think the, the uh, interviews afterwards were all very telling. They're all, all very came it was and you know I think Sexton even said that you know they were a little bit disappointed that they wanted to save you know their best performance for last and that they were unable to do that but listen these are only tiny little footnotes and there will be a, a satisfaction from um, from the players when they think about it a little bit deeper but also from the coaching staff um, that you know when you're presented with uh, this different challenge you when you're unable to get um, the sort of gameplay that you've based your season on um, that even when you're when you're not getting those things going and the players get a little bit, you know, you start thinking about why isn't this happening and you know, why, what, what's going to be the ultimate outcome. So for the coaches to, to, to see this other way to win, um, is, uh, you know, they will be imp- have been impressed by it and relieved by it. And also I think it's sort of, you know, looking forward, um, it does show that if you, you know, if you close down Leinster in one way, there's potential for them to come, come at you in another way. And interesting, both the guys there spoke about the, the celebrations. And, you know, it's been a while since Leinster have won a cup. And there was a, a pressure with that. There was also a pressure on going to the final, having never lost a final. And, um, you know, I think you could see that. Emo- and then the way the game pl- pl- planned out, um, I think you could see the emotion in all those players. And I was coming down from, from the commentary and I was told when I got down there, just behind where uh, we were doing our um, broadcast from on the pitch was a couple of the um, the Leinster players that weren't being used uh, that day. And Sean O'Brien and, and um, Ferg McFadden were there. And just on 
and the lads were telling me just on uh, the full time whistle. Like Fergus McFadden jumped over a dugout. He said, I don't know how bad his hamstring is, but he jumped <laughs> over a dugout, jumped over a security guard. Bear in mind, these guys had passes to get on the pitch, but they were just so <laughs> overcome with emotion. Um, Will Greenwood said to me, well, if he hasn't done his hamstring you know, before now, it's gone now at this stage. I and ran out and the, you know, they all, all felt totally involved in it, as they should do. Um, an incredible team performance. So Jerry spoke to you know spoke about the numbers of the players that started um, this competition that, that didn't finish it or weren't involved in the end. And um, again, that is something that is you know very interesting and uh, for Leinster. Um, looking forward to where how they can plot themselves around Europe and what their expectations of are of themselves over the next number of years. A lot of young players mixed with you know still senior players who have a few years left to play. Um, everyone excited and a deep squad. It's it's um, it's brilliant for them. It's concerning for for you know certainly teams in the Pro 14 and and, and teams in Europe as well. Yeah, I think because they've played so well this year, you'd think they might be immune to pressure. And because a lot of the players have already won something with Ireland, but say even Jack Conan talking afterwards saying, coming on as a sub, I just really did, did not want blows. to screw it up for the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the players who'd started the game. And Sean Cronin was saying, you know, it's six years since he'd been in a final. I won't be around in six years if it takes this long to get there again. So all this is going around in their head. And in the rain, like Shane said the pressure becomes more intense because say when Racing scored that penalty with 10 minutes to go, 10 minutes is nothing in the rain. Scrums collapse, players knock on the ball. Everything's just sort of a bit of a mess. So there was time pressure, as Shane said as well. But just one thing I saw that was new from Leinster that they hadn't had to do this year as well was, except that they weren't playing well, I think it was around the 60-minute mark, you could see them going, well, look, we're, we're clearly not playing well. Things aren't clicking. Guys like Easton Assay was just kicked the ball straight into touch twice. There's sort of a bad juju around this game. And they sort of accepted that. And that's, you know, it's like putting your ego to one side, Jerry. And for a team like Leinster that have been playing that well, that's actually quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I think it was kind of the burden of favouritism and also knowing they'd played so well and perhaps knowing deep down they'd been the best team of the competition. Mm. And um, the fear of failure, I think consumed the ground a little bit. I think it was palpable. You could reach out and bite into it. It was a very taut, tense game. It was kind of a claustrophobic atmosphere. It was like the roof was might as well have been closed, except it was just open enough to allow in the rain yeah. to make it even more tense. And it was really striking listening to all the players afterwards. Keen Healy, you know, I don't think I ever want to watch that one again. I'll just have a romantic view of it in my head. Um, and talking, it would have been it would have been hell to lose. And they all said it would have been a shock to lose. It would have been really horrible to lose. And I think that fear of failure consumed them a little bit, understandably so, and the, the occasion. And you're right, to then fought, to never be ahead for 78 minutes. Like, they only, they only led for two minutes. They just made sure it was the last two minutes was um, added to the pressure that was on them. And uh, Like I said, they came up with the good plays. They stayed composed. They kept probing. Um, Johnny kept trying things. He kept picking up different runners on the, on the gain line. Racing were going for intercepts from the word go. It was just so hard. And eventually they found some kind of semi-creaks in the line, helped by a couple of mistakes. And the last three penalties they, they scored were all for offside and all given by J.P. Doyle, not by Wayne Barnes. So the, you know, the last three kicks they got, Sexton's third penalty and the two from the Sabre to win the game were all called by J.P. Doyle for offside. So I think in that sense, well, their pressure on the Racing defence perhaps also earned them that win, even though there weren't any tries on the scoreboard and even though they probably won't have enjoyed it and they were frustrated by the way they played, they still found a way. They found a way. They were a little jammy though, Matty, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, Teddy Tomat running that ball out, out over into touch and say, for example... Sorry, that, just before you go on, yeah, that yeah. Tomat mistake, yeah. 
people saying, oh, it's just an error. That is like the worst thing you can do yeah. on a rugby pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to be Shane Horgan and having played all these <laughs> matches in that position to Honestly, understand that that's, that's, a really, rugby, that's, that's a really a silly error. thing to do. And then you've got Remy Tales lining up that drop goal. It looked to me like... You know, a couple of phases before, he thought he might get it, and he had his hands out waiting for the ball, but he wasn't exactly roaring for it in the manner of a man who wants to take over this situation. It was as though, okay, I'll let the scrum half make the decision for me, and then I'll take a shot. I know it wasn't easy, he was being rushed, but if Dan Carter's standing out there on the pitch at that time, Matt, he, are we going to extra time? Yeah, yeah, Carter, Carter slot that for sure. Uh, you know, you've got to come back. There was, there was a couple of things. Johnny Sexton not taking that penalty in the first half and taking a quick tap, you know, he's just sitting there going, mate, what are you thinking? You know, that was as crazy as as what Teddy Thomas did. But you could see what Racing were doing. Every single time they had the ball in their half, it came back. They just had the ruck. They got into a decent position. And Teddy Irabaran, who I thought, you know, James Ryan had a magnificent game, but te- what a performance from that kid. He was absolutely sensational. Box kick it up the field, and then we'll just we won't let Leinster through. We'll trust our duty, and they did that for the whole game until te- they they steal a line out, and Teddy Thomas has time to kick that fifty minutes down the field, and he runs, puts the ball in one hand, and I'm watching it going, what, what is going on? And then runs to the sideline, like if a kid in the under 15s did that, you'd be grabbing him and saying, you don't do that. But that's Teddy Thomas. You know he's been a bit arrogant this year. Played up. He's a great player, great talent, and Rona Garris is a lovely, lovely fella. But he's done some really arrogant things, like that one against Munster where he kisses the ball and passes it to Mashino when he's over the try line. You know, Peter Clahessi would have grabbed that man bun and swung him around. Like it's, he, he, he has been out of line, and he played up then. And it cost his team the game. There's a second part to this. The courage of Issa Nassiwa to come up and take that first penalty. And we're looking going, why is Issa taking? What, what's going on here? And that, that is where the Leinster believed. Because he kicked the ball out twice in the full, but butchered it twice. But then for him to come up at the end and do that was magnificent. And the only thing they did well, racing them, was winning that restart. But if it was Carter there, if it was Lambie there, would they have kicked it? You'd have money on it. But they didn't. And that's the fact. <laughs> and we can cut this up any way you want. And they won that game. And the, the winning of the game even though Racing probably lost it in the end, will will change the culture of that team. But yeah, there's, they had a lot. They had luck, but they hung in there. Could we just talk about Racing just for a second? I'd just like to hear the lads and what you think about this, Simon. If you actually analyse Racing's performance for 80 minutes, they had two of their power plays as it were, the start of the second half, the start of the final quarter. Um, and, and they went through 15 phases thereabouts both times, but nearly always with one-off runners, and only once eventually went to go wide when Nasewa made that great read in Shamansi. They didn't bring an awful lot of rugby. Ira Barron played really, really well, no doubt about it, but he kicked an awful lot. I think there was something like 55 kicks in the match. Both teams did. Um, and they didn't play with anything. They didn't try any of the ambitious moves they showed against Munster in that first 25 minutes where they'd maybe shoot Vakatawa up the middle and then go wide very quickly and give Teddy Tomah a one-on-one with Issa Nasewa. They only once went wide in the whole match, really. They didn't create an awful lot themselves. You'd have to say over the 80 minutes that Leinster, what little was created, was mostly created by Leinster, No. Well, I, I didn't think they had enough opportunities to do that, though. They, mm. they didn't go through the phases in order to throw out. And I know against Munster, from the very start, they did that. But maybe they were emboldened by the ground that they were making very quickly against Munster, like literally in the first two minutes. 
there was encouragement there. Whereas, like, there was a lot made of the Racing defence, and it was very good, and they lasted the 80 minutes. But Leinster's defence was even better than Racing's. Mm, mm. And it has been all yeah. season. I, I think, um, I thought the Racing defence was as good as Leinster have come across. It's not what I thought they were going to do, and perhaps um, the conditions had something to, to do about that. Uh, had an impact on it. They um, they did put big numbers into rooks. They were uncre- incredibly aggressive and an absolute nuisance. Uh, everybody was, even the guys who weren't actually on the ball, they would still get into the rook and that means Lens would have to put another man in there and if Lens weren't particularly accurate, um, then uh, they wouldn't move them so they would have to put another man in or the guy would have to do a second job. Um, that meant that you know, rook ball was really slow for Leinster. And so their wide game was very, very difficult to, to get going. Um, and then the way um, they defended in the outside channels with a 13 coming up, up in a very, very big up and in um, and showing the elbow, but then closing it down really quickly. I thought they were very, very impressive in their system. I agree the Leinster defensive system was so much better than Munster's. There wasn't really a sniff there for, um, for Rassen going wide, but... If you look at all the stats, Leinster had the best of all the stats. Mm-hmm. But I actually thought um, Rassen carried better than Leinster when they at their top level. There was you know, there was one period um, actually near the end of the game. It was a huge carry by Nyanga, and then there was another carry by I'm not sure there was another one of the big forwards carried. And it was one after another, and I just thought, oh, this this looks seriously dangerous. And I didn't think Leinster's carrying looked you know maybe as dynamic as we've seen in you know at other times um, during the, the, the this championship so i was kind of like i was getting a little bit worried saying where is the chance going to come from and you know there was you know those couple of moments that have been, that have been um, set out already by uh, by simon and highlighted by some people afterwards but you know there was just a, it was almost just a ball retention it was just getting into the you know right areas and waiting for the opposition to make a mistake i think Leinster always had that in the back of their minds and i said it in commentary i said i didn't think this game was going to be won by um, you know um, a moment of magic i thought it was going to be won by a mistake and it was won it was won by a, you know or was lost by a mistake it was lost by a series of mistakes and you always felt that Leinster knew how to win the game they knew even when there were three points down with 10 minutes to go um, in those conditions, is get into those areas, retain the ball in the you know in that you know, sort of forty to, to um, try line area of Racing for a period of time, and they'll give away a penalty, and that's what's going to happen, or they'll make a big mistake, and that's ultimately what happened. And maybe that's the difference between you know a, a side that has has you know a team or a half a team full of guys who've you know won a, a Grand Slam this year, and another couple of guys who've won or good few. Fellas who've won um, Heineken Cups before, um, and they knew, they look, you know, even though it was, a, it was a stressful environment, they did look as if they were going to get it done. If, if that makes any sense, yeah, no, it does. The Leo Cullen Stuart Lancaster dream team, Shane, is being touted to possibly take over from Joe Schmidt and his boys when they, whenever they finish up with Ireland. Would you like to see that happen? I'd say just hang on with Leinster for a bit longer. I tell you, they can do, <laughs> they can do some more winning at Leinster. And uh, I think they will be, you know, they'll be certainly, um, you know, not, if not top of the list, not far off. You know, I, there's, there's a, a lot of time to go for Joe before the World Cup. There's a lot of time to go for these guys. But, um, you know, and, and who knows how the next number of months and, and year will pan out. But you do think they're in a very good position. 
Um, you know, and it's undoubted. I know Jerry sort of was teasing me there. It's undoubtedly that um, Stuart Lancaster has had, you know, a, a massive effect on this team. And, you know, my only suggestion was always that, you know, there was there's other guys there as well, and I, you know, I just don't like them, you know, not getting the credit. But I think everyone is. I think it was, you know, it's, you know, it, the team seems to work so well together. The, I mean, the, the coaching team seems so comfortable together. They all know their own strengths. Um, the amount of praise that has been heaped on Stuart Lancaster by and the players um, over the you know coming into the, this final, but even after the final, there's a genuine affection there and uh, admiration for what he's brought to them. So you know, kudos to Stuart Lancaster. He's made he's had a big impact, and you know it's it, it necessarily wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, you certainly wouldn't be worried if that was the sort of coaching team that was based around that for Ireland. But they said let's see how the next um, you know let's see how Saturday goes because after as Matt said after that emotion outpouring of emotion um how are they going to go against um you know it generally I've been in a situation where I've you know play, um, played in the Highland Cup final one week and then went to try and play Munster in, in a final the week after it was my last ever game of rugby and um I thought we you know we did have a brilliant side um that day but there was we were missing a couple of players I think Sean O'Brien wasn't there and um, there was a definitely the energy wasn't at the same level as it was the week before. Not because physically, and yeah, the lads will have had a couple of nights out. That may take a little bit of it, uh, make a little bit of a difference. But um, this, there will be the emotion will be running very low. So what I think we'll, we'll have to see from Leinster this weekend, if they're going to if they're going to beat Munster, is a, a you know it's a very very astute tactical performance and almost a, a deconstruction of what Munster can do. And I have a feeling. We're going to see Leinster really go after it. I think you're going to see them play without much um, inhibition. And you know that can work out brilliantly or it, it could be a bust and we'll find out. I, I have the same feeling as, as, uh, as Shane, that, that that whole group should get it, not just Stuart. And I think Stuart's done a great job. Is he a viable option for Ireland? The answer to that is yes. I hope they stay at Leinster as long as Sir Alec Ferguson stayed at Manchester United. And I say that for two reasons. Leo's a young man. He goes to Ireland. What does he do next? He'll get pumped out of Ireland. In, what, what if he does four years? So he does a whole cycle. He does a cycle. But he's only four, he'll only be in his mid-40s. He, he needs... To, and, and the other part is he's not ready for Ireland. And this has been a great win for him. It's been fantastic. Let him stay there. Don't force him. Let, as soon as we get a good young Irish coach or someone wins a cup, we're pumping him up high. And it's too early for him. He needs two or three more contracts. He's just coming into his stride. Let him stay there for another five, six, seven years and, and see what happens. Don't be so sure that Joe's going to go and don't be so sure that New Zealand will take Joe. New Zealand are not big on rewarding people who leave. If I have money on who's going to be coaching New Zealand next, it'll be Scotty Robinson down in uh, the Crusaders where Ron Nogari is. I think it's a bit... Well, if I, if I could say not immature, but I think it's it's premature, and we just need to let them be, and you know we don't have to pump guys out of those those jobs so quickly. But are they a good coaching ticket? Obviously. Are the players enjoying it? Obviously. But Stuart Lancaster will tell you, coaching international rugby is totally different, and the skill set is totally different from coaching club rugby where you say we've got the skills every day we do this every day you don't have that as an international coach you get them for very short periods it took joe a couple of years to adapt to that and to understand what what is it you can do and what is it you can't do 
it's the great thing about the Irish system that um, the overseas signings, be they players or coaches, um, have an emotional buy-in fairly quickly because it's such a uh, homegrown culture in each of the four provinces. And I think that's something that maybe Dave News 4 needs to understand a little bit better vis-a-vis Joey Carby moving to Ulster for a year. But leaving that aside, that's a topic for another day. I think um, it was very interesting to look at Stuart Lancaster at the week. I think it's a, it's a natural fit for him. We talked about it last week. It's 90% hands-on coaching. It doesn't have the burden and responsibility of the, being the head coach and the spokesperson for the group. And he can just get on with being what he is. He's a very good coach and a no-ego-driven man like Leo. Uh, he came out long after the uh, the celebrations were over with the trophy uh, and there were still a few Leinster fans around in the San Mamé Stadium and he showed it to them and he brought it over to his two kids who were both in Leinster jerseys. He was asked on TG Carr and the Highlights programme later, was he, would he be staying in Leinster? He said 100%. The word is that he's under contract anyway until the end of next season. So that at least rules out any short, sharp move to the likes of Harlequins in the short term, which is great that he's staying in Leinster for a while longer. And I would t- tend to agree with Maddie that the longer they, and Shane that the longer they stay at Leinster, the better. It's not a fait accompli that Joe Schmidt moves back. I wouldn't even rule out the possibility of Joe Schmidt staying on as Irish coach. It's possible. Um, you know, he's been living here a long time. It's become a home from home for him. And there's a lot about this system that suits the way he works as well. He knows that. Uh, I'd be surprised if he took on the English job or anything like that. I think he's been offered in the past, personally, and he's turned it down. Um, and another option, of course, as well, is that if Joe were to move on, is just to mo- promote Andy Farrell from within as the head coach and leave Leinster as B. Okay, well, that's for another day, probably. Yeah. But listen, brilliant stuff today and last week before the game, guys. Shane, thanks so much. Matty, thanks a million. Jerry, thank you. Cheers, thank you. Pleasure. They are the champions. They have taken the title away from Manchester United and they have done it here at Old Trafford. It does not get more conclusive. It's very difficult to see Arsenal play one day without Arsenal on the bench. He's going to ruin the club, fam. He's going to ruin the club, blood. I'm telling you, fam. Up and down the land, you do sense a genuine appreciation for the way this Arsenal team play. They were perfect. It's turning. It's turning blood. Did you hear the booze at full time? Seriously, shut the fuck up tonight. I'm not in no mood for no little dickheads chatting shit. We love to have him there all the time, but we all know that's not going to happen. One day he's going to have to go. Spineless, where were they in the second half? Spineless, no fucking character, no fucking leadership. Where does that boil down to? It boils down to the fucking manager. He's finished. It will be hard. He's not thinking of leaving one day. He was a great manager. He's gone. He's gone. I don't, I, it will happen eventually. We all know it. But I, I don't see it. Arsenal Football Club. Man. For me. The day I will see Arsenal play without Arsenal on the bench, it's going to be weird. Don't try to go to this fucking club. Don't try to question my fan base. Don't try to question my fan base, okay? Listen, listen. I can't, I can't get angry. I can't get angry like I am before because it's just.
Some injury news is filtering in from Leinster ahead of the game against Munster. Robbie Henshaw is out. He's got a knee injury. Johnny Sexton is doubtful with the groin problem that prevented him from taking the late penalties uh, yesterday, uh, or on Saturday, I should say. And the man who did slot those kicks, he's in Nisewa, he's a doubt with a calf problem. So Robbie Henshaw out. Those other two, Sexton and Nisewa, are doubtful. And that's on top of the longer-term injuries. You won't be surprised to hear that Fergus McFadden is still out injured after Shane describing <laughs> him leaping across the advertising hoardings with his dodgy hamstring. Yeah, the, so he uh, won't make a quick return. The rehab has been paused. So <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say there's been a setback, but certainly it got no better on Saturday. On the racing side, Midi Olympique report that Dunica Ryan's season is over after an injury to the AC joint in his shoulder. We all saw the injury happen after about 11 minutes when he came down from a height at a line-out. Of course, he quite obvious, played, yeah, that he played, he played the entire rest of the game. Was he on yeah, until the end? He certainly played most. Well, he was the one that scooped the uh, the very last kick from Racing back. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it for the, that it set up the yeah, drop yeah. goal chance? Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's ridiculous, by the way, to, to play do his AC and, and play the rest of the game that, and play quite well. That sort of pain. Yeah. And we recorded that chat before the news with Shane Jerry and Matty there before the bit of news came in with regards to the Leinster coaching staff, Simon, who we seem to be fixated on at the moment. One of them is leaving. Yeah. It's not Stuart Lancaster. It's not Leo Cullen. Who is it? It's Gervin Dempsey. Gervin Dempsey. Uh, so he's going to join Bath, who qualified for Europe on the last day of their Premiership season. And I think it's really good timing for Gervin. You know, his CV looks, his coaching CV looks as good as it could possibly look at the moment. And it's a chance for him to move up the rankings and the, with a, a bat team who are reasonably upwardly mobile. So what did you say his job is there? Sorry, He's a tax uh, back coach, yeah. It's basically the same thing. Same job, yeah. Along the lines. Okay, good luck to him. We had a hell of a reaction to our big interview on the World Service last week, so thanks to everybody for getting in touch on this one. It was a conversation with Eamon McGee, the boxer from Belfast, and it was pretty raw as we talked about his alcoholism. We got into the run-ins that he's had with the IRA, also the murder of his son. There was a lot of really heavy stuff. The most uncomfortable part of the interview came about when we delved into incidents of domestic abuse involving his ex-wife. What about in March 2014, you were convicted of assaulting Mary again. There was a four-month sentence, which was suspended for two uh, two years, I should say, for kicking her in the leg. Uh, Is is that that correct? Did I not win that case? Uh, well, not according to the information in front of me. If it, uh, if it took me, if it took me the court for every time you hit me, would never be out of it. So, <laughs> would you believe that violence towards women is inexcusable, though? I don't. There's no reason to be hitting anybody. Should it be a woman or a man, hmm. or any anything at all? But yet, there's, there's, you also still got to defend yourself and be a man. You know what I mean? Don't be getting bullied. Don't be letting women bully you. You know what I mean? If they hit you, you're entitled to fucking slap them back. And as I would always say, you know what I mean? Some women, I mean, I've talked some tangents of women in my day. Domestic violence is a very serious issue. The only domestic, in, in, in the only domestic abuse was going on in my house was it was me was getting abused. All right, you're, you're probably sitting here with ours with facing a boxer hugging out a bit. And all. No, no, I'm a fucking goo cunt. But if you, the, the abuse that I was through in my neighborhood was unreal. I wasn't wishing any human being. Yeah, that interview with Eamon McGee is not a very easy listen, as you get a sense of there, but it is there for you if you want to go and get it on the World Service. Today has been all about Leinster's historic achievement in Bilbao. We'll have a big GA Championship show tomorrow, but I can't finish up without saluting your boys, Murph. Sure, they may be killing the sport of Gaelic football, Ken, but at least they beat Mayo again, huh? Parochial rivalries are all that count. <sighs> We're not so. killing anything on... God, I mean... You, you, know. you thought the rugby was dull. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't actually see... Oh, it, was, it was not a very good game. Was there as much verbal abuse as you predicted? No, no, actually... No, 
now I, I tell a lie. I was up at the end that Galway were shooting into. The Mayo defenders did not engage in any verbal abuse whatsoever. I can't say the same for the. Or I can't say for certain that it didn't happen mm-hmm. up the other end of the field with uh, the Galway defenders. I have heard some reports that maybe there were one or two minor tangles before the ball was thrown. Well, in, the entire nothing that I saw with my own eyes. Ken. The entire Galway full back line, Kent, was booked in the first half, if I remember correctly. Also, Dermot O'Connor from Mayo was sent off for a really horrible um, elbow slash forearm charge mm. into the face a, of a Galway player. Yeah, it was an unbelievably tense atmosphere before the game. I mean, the, the place was full to basically bursting point, Castlebar mm. yesterday. And for whatever reason, there was none of this sort of giddy anticipation that you would expect before a game of, of this magnitude. Everyone's just sitting there very quietly just being quite nervous <laughs> as opposed to like okay let's let's enjoy ourselves it's the summertime it's the championship everyone kind of had just like a weight on their shoulders it seemed and it seemed to transmit itself onto the players because there was no like freedom of expression in the game at all hardly it was just so tense the whole thing was so tense and then tom parsons horrible injury yeah. just took the air out of the out of the occasion even more to the extent that Really, the one bit of football won the game. The the Johnny Heaney goal with whatever it was, four minutes into injury time, was the one bit of like just really nice, intricate team play that showed that it is possible. Like all this this idea that oh well, you you play with men behind the ball, nothing's ever going to happen. If you transfer the ball quickly at people running very smart angles, there's not a lot that defences can actually do particularly in, in the second half the last 20-25 minutes of matches you really should be able to find Please. some sort of pockets and of space when it's opened up like that yeah like I watched the Sunday game last night I didn't watch the, the, the live show but I mean Ian Burke won the game uh, the Currafane corner forward who people would have probably have watched in club games over the last couple of seasons just he's just a superb player he's just a brilliant brilliant player and he won the game for goal just by having beautiful soft hands playing correct passes at the right time and always just looking to get people into better positions than he's in fast, as opposed to everyone soloing the ball and hopping the ball and then hand-passing the ball five yards backwards, which both teams were equally guilty of uh, for la- pretty much the whole game. I mean, Burke just in that cameo showed like he can't not start for goal. I mean, the, the guy was just absolutely exceptional. Were End and Barry at that one too? They're still tagging along or did you deposit them back with their parents? But that's uh, Barry was at home, but Enda was running around with a Galway flag doing a very passable Graham Soonis impersonation <laughs> in the middle of McHale Park. I was talking to a, a Mayo friend of mine pretty much on the, se- like the centre line of McHale Park yeah. and Enda was just running around him with a Galway <laughs> With the massive flag. Galway flag. Yeah. And it was kind of like, okay, Enda, you know... It's fine. He, I mean, he was well. He had just been to see the WWE wrestling the night before. He might have yeah. had a little bit. Emotions are running high here. Eddie. Too much There's no need to be quite so inflammatory. There's a little bit too much excitement in his life. It sounds like to me. Yeah. Well, listen. Don't worry. It's you know. There's Sometimes. there's plenty. There's plenty of home. He's not at home. He's not, not at home playing the PlayStation. Ken. It's not the main yep. thing. Yeah. Delete, delete, Ken. Delete, delete. <laughs> Sometimes wonder that, wouldn't it? I mean, there's all these rules against um, children working on the land. <laughs> do, do they have those rules? I mean, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Again, yeah. Sometimes you know a bit of backbreaking toil. I'll, I'll pass on. I'll pass on your concerns to his parents, Ken. On that note, we will wrap things up. <laughs> thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank thanks, you, Ken. Thanks, thanks you for listening. Girl. Loads of championship chat tomorrow. Talk to you then. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.